Society for Neuroscience NeuroOnline podcast series, The Perils of Publishing. I'm your host, Paula Croxton. We've been following John Chol Park and Peter McAdam of the University of Pittsburgh throughout the process their paper, recently published in the Journal of Neuroscience, went through. In the last episode, we covered how reviewers are chosen and the role of the editor. So what do you do once the reviews have come back? How do you respond? What if the reviews aren't great? Personally, I give myself at least a week to recover before I do anything at all, but don't take my word for it. Absolutely. And it always is, actually. I have, in all these years, I've never had the experience of addressing reviewers' comments, even when you disagree with them, not improving the paper. In this case, the paper in junior science came back from three reviewers. One didn't have much, one had several things, and one reviewer had extensive two or three page list of comments and concerns. So we extensively revised to address those concerns. And I do think that the paper was much improved. I really think that it became far more relevant paper clinically because what we did was we lucked out or we were fortunate enough to get a reviewer who was very much in tune with the relevance of this work to human anxiety. And with this process, it was an incredibly good learning and difficult process for June Chol because we went through many rounds of good and bad reviews. We had reviewers when this was submitted to uh, the Glam Mag, which essentially came and said, well, I just don't think this is a good way of studying this and that, which is like, what do you mean? Or after they had questions and we had addressed them, they came back and said, oh, I apologize that I made you think that by addressing that, you're going to really address my concerns. So things like that, I actually use them for, for training that this is not how you write a review. You write a very concise, clear review that is fair. That's exactly what you would like to receive yourself. Yeah, Juncho, did you find any of the review process frustrating for that reason? Yeah. I totally agree with what Dita said, and the thing that I really appreciate for uh, the Journal of Neuroscience reviewers was that they were really constructive, and even the most critical uh, reviewer, the reviewer too, that we had, <laughs> and he or she was really like critical, very specific, and uh, he or she made a really a clear point that like what uh, we have to work on, and the reviewer too provided even like a specific uh, citation that we have to think about. He or she pointed out the sentences that I needed to uh, work on. So that was really helpful and constructive, and I think that really improved our manuscript a lot. Based on the recommendation of this reviewer, we really emphasized the importance of that aspect of the work, which I believe is why this paper ended up getting the positive media coverage that it did. It wasn't just another study about a mouse being in an anxiety-provoking situation. It became something that's highly relevant to human anxiety. And much of that was because of the revisions that we did and rewarding that we did after getting reviewers' comments. It went through additional round of review to two of the reviewers, again, in general science. So it was, it was extensively revised even in general science after the submission. So did the reviewers ask for additional experiments at any point during this process? So the one thing that they asked us to do was, so we used this animal model of anxiety. Even though there was like previous studies that used this model and then they showed that 
the, the drug has an anxiogenic effect. Some of the reviewers wanted to see it on our hands in the house that this drug is really anxiogenic. So we had to run an additional elevated plus maze experiment to sort of show that this is really anxiogenic on our hands. And also there were uh, like lots of data analysis that they asked, which is not an additional experiment, but it took a lot of work and a lot of time doing this additional analysis. And did you have to do any specific work to make sure that you got the tone right when you were responding to these reviewers? <laughs> so I've been around long enough to that, that that's something that is very critical. You want to be respectful and you want to really appreciate the fact that people have put in a fair amount of time and effort to review this paper for you and that even if you just completely disagree with every word they say, you need to respect the fact that they actually took the time to consider your work, evaluate your work, and write about it. So the tone is really important. It's also really important to be very specific about what you have addressed. And if you are not addressing anything, you need to be very clear about why you're not addressing this. By just saying we disagree with this, with the viewer, that doesn't do it. You have to say, I disagree because so-and-so have published this and that paper that actually addresses that point. In general, with this paper, as with other papers in my group, we go out of our way to address every comments that reviewers have. Again, because you have to respect the fact that people have taken the time to uh, evaluate your work. I asked Jim Knirin, a reviewing editor at the Journal of Neuroscience, for his advice on responding to negative reviews. Don't take negative reviews personally. <laughs> Nobody likes to be criticized. I don't like it. I've had more than my share of negative reviews over the years, and your first impulse is to write that reply letter about how stupid the reviewer is and how they totally misunderstood what you were saying and what's wrong with them. Okay, if that makes you feel good, fine, but don't don't send that. You know, <laughs> delete it, rip it up, go. You know, calm down. <laughs> And then think about it. What I always tell my students and I have to tell myself is if the reviewer didn't understand the paper, it was your fault, not their fault. And even if it was their fault, it was your fault, <laughs> not their fault. <laughs> you know, usually what that means is you didn't you just didn't make your case. You didn't present the work. Maybe they were wrong and you were right, but your job as an author is to make it understandable to the reader. You have to think about your reviewer as just one little sample of your once it's very good publish of your readership. And if your reviewer didn't understand it or was confused, most likely a large fraction of your readers will be confused as well. So you need to think about it from that point of view. And if the re reviewer is wrong, then certainly you can't cave in, but you need to explain why you think there was confusion and go forth. But but just be very polite. Hopefully the review was polite. First of all, we, we don't like reviewers in the Journal of Neuroscience who write nasty reviews. We always want them to be constructive. And that's important when you're writing a review as well. Don't ever be nasty in your review. You can be firm, you can be critical, but there's no excuse ever to be derogatory or, or so forth. And the same is true of authors. So when you respond to a review, no matter how much your feelings are hurt, keep it on a polite civil level. And I think, you know, things work out better. It's just, it's never going to be in your best interest to, to argue with the reviewer in a nasty way. But just, you know, like I said, read that review, calm down a bit, take some time, think about it, Stu realize what could I have done better to have avoided this criticism and from that point then suggests 
you know, okay, this is how we're gonna we're gonna make it better. It's never gonna work to send a nasty reply back just because your feelings got hurt. You know, like I said, we all we've all been there. So <laughs> especially the young people, it's, if it is their first tape they've written maybe a second, they're not used to it yet. You know, after a while you get used to these bad reviews and, they, <laughs> and you know, it just happens. And like I said, you realize it's the process and all, but it can be really ego deflating when you're young, which is again, one reason why reviewers should be very polite and understand that when they, they're writing a critical review that they are as, as constructive as they can be in their criticisms. And, and the same way, if you're young, you haven't been this before, you again, don't take it personally. Usually, it's 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 not this, these people are not to get you. It's it's a scientific discussion, and it needs to be treated at that level. Is there an appeal process for authors who feel as if they have had an, a negative decision that wasn't warranted? Um, and do you recommend that authors avoid that, or that that sometimes warranted to appeal? There is an appeal process. It's an official process that oftentimes I'll get a, or less me, but then the senior editor, you know, the one who communicates with the authors about the decision, they'll get an email wanting to appeal. And, and we always tell them that they have to go through the journal website to do that official process. And it's a high bar to cross. And we do that intentionally. We're very careful in trying to make the right decision at first. And we don't want it to be the case that every time we reject a paper, we have to go through an appeal process. But we do recognize, you know, we're not perfect. I'm the first to admit sometimes, you know, I read the reviews and, and one of the reviews has a major flaw in it. But I didn't know that. And if it really was a major mistake a reviewer made, that was material to the decision that was made, and the authors can make that case very strongly, well, that would be grounds to, to grant an appeal. That and whether there was obvious bias in the review. But many times, authors will say that the viewer was biased, and it's not that they were biased, it's just that they didn't have the same opinion that the authors have of, of their own. <laughs> <laughs> so the scientific dis disagreement between authors and reviewers is not sufficient to grant an appeal. But if, if it was very clear, then the authors can make a very clear case that their review was unfair and biased, or there was a very serious flaw in the review, a factual mistake that was material to the decision. If it was a mistake that the reviewer made, but that really wasn't what made the decision, then we wouldn't grant an appeal on that. But if it was clear that me as a reviewing editor reading a review and, and the negative reviewer said something that to me maybe decided that the paper should be rejected, but then the author convinced me that that was wrong, that the reviewer was wrong, then I'll say, okay, sure, that that was unfair then, and let's go back and, and we'll grant the appeal. And typically we'll either send it to another reviewer at that stage or I, we'll, we'll allow the authors to resubmit their article. And then when, when they resubmit, I will make a decision whether to send it back to those reviewers, or at that point, I might pull in a third reviewer as well and, and try to, to handle it from, from that point forward. But we try to grant appeals sparingly, just because we, uh, otherwise we just make an already cumbersome process more so. Reviewing is a noisy process. It's something I've learned over the time I've been doing these. Many of us have thought about using the appeal process at some point, or even used it. I wanted to find out more about how it works and when, if ever, we as authors should use it. Katja Bros, editor at the journal Neuron, gave me an overview of how the appeal process works at Cell Press. 
Yeah, we, we do have an appeal process. And, and in fact, I think we, I mean, just historically have been very open to a dialogue between the authors and the editors, and obviously the editors then navigating a dialogue with the reviewers. And this is one thing I've mentioned earlier that, you know, there's differences between journals, and journals all have different styles and philosophies towards appeals. So some journals, I think, don't really tolerate appeals, or they're very limited in the degree to which that they would tolerate appeals. And I think that's something important for authors to know, whether that's important for you in the review process. So at Cell Press, we do have an appeal process. What it would entail is essentially once you've received the reviews, if you feel, you know, one, that you could address the reviews, so perhaps you're proposing a revision plan, or, you know, if you're disagreeing with the reviews where you feel like there were mistakes made by the reviewers or mistakes made by the editors, that's another form of appeal, that you would write a, write a letter to the editor, you know, send it in by email. Usually what we would want to see at that stage is what's called a point-by-point -point response, and that's essentially just responding to each of the reviewers' comments in point. And obviously you could include also summary comments to the editor that are more integrative and that aren't necessarily point by point. I mean, one question is when to appeal. And, you know, we are very open to this kind of a dialogue, but I really want to emphasize that I don't think it's a good idea for authors to be appealing every decision. I think authors need to also kind of be judicious and it shouldn't be that every you know, rejection decision that author gets, the knee-jerk response is to, to fight it, if you will. I mean, maybe that works for the author, but it really gums up the whole system, and don't think you want to be the author at a journal who, who consistently appeals every decision, even, even very reasonable decisions. So what I usually suggest to authors is, I mean, as a first step, kind of step back from the reviews, and obviously everyone is sort of very personally attached to their paper, but to the extent that you can, try to objectively evaluate the criticisms and the decision, read the reviews carefully, read the letter. If, if you feel like you can't be objective, get a colleague to help you be objective. I mean, get somebody else to read it. Because often what comes out of that is sometimes it turns out the reviews aren't as bad as you thought. Sometimes it turns out there's a lot of things you can address. Maybe all the things you can address, and in that case, an appeal might be very reasonable. Um, in other cases, it might be that you know the reviews are very consistent, and maybe you don't like what they're telling you, but I think you need to still sort of step back and see, okay, well, three reviewers are telling me more or less the same thing. Maybe we need to kind of look back at the study, how we framed it, what we're thinking about here. And then if after all of that, you really feel like, okay, I want to sort of pursue it with a journal, I either want to try to get a better handle on why the decision was made, or I want to mount a response to potentially come back with a revised version, you know, write that letter, write that point-by-point -point response. And then, you know, we consider them all. Often, you know, sometimes authors will want to have a phone conversation about it. That, that's fine, too. But we usually like to start with the written form because it gives us something to dig into. The other recommendation I make around appeals is that definitely give yourself some time to sort of step back and evaluate and really think about what you want to do, but don't wait too long. And so I think there's a right time to appeal. I mean, I think, you know, something like within the first couple of weeks of getting the decision is a good time to really connect, reconnect with the journal if that journal allows it to see, especially if you want to revise, to see if, if there's really a good prospect for revising. What I find really kind of crushing as an editor is when, you know, a paper is rejected, you think as an editor, okay, they'll probably send this to another journal, it needs to be at another journal, and then maybe months and months and months, or sometimes years later, the authors will come back with 
now a revised version, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really have a good view of what revisions were needed and they're off target or, or it's a paper that was never going to be a neuron paper and the revisions, you know, might have been great for getting into another journal, but now they've spent all this time and, and are thinking that they're coming back to neuron. So I think coming back to the editors sooner rather than later as an author would give you a better view on kind of what your options are and allow you to move forward more quickly and get on to your, your, your next project. We've spent quite a lot of time this year reviewing our processes around corrections and retractions with this idea that even a perfect or as close to perfect peer review process as, as one could get is going to lead to situations where there's errors in the published literature that we, the publishers, but also the authors need to correct. And that's not a simple yeah. process uh, often, as you can imagine. We are alerted to errors or potential errors, I should say, by all sorts of means. Uh, sometimes they come forward from authors themselves, which is fantastic. Sometimes it's astute readers. But however the, it, the, the potential error comes to us, we really need to look at it carefully. And I wanted to sort of state really clearly that, I mean, error does not mean necessarily fraud, that somebody did something intentionally wrong. It doesn't necessarily even mean that the paper needs to be wholesale retracted, but, but each case of error or potential error really needs to be looked at carefully. And so we've been looking at our process for both evaluating cases like this and then what we also do with, with the, the decisions on the evaluations once we have them, and also in guiding authors in how to think about situations like this when they arise for themselves, because they do. And I think most authors really do want to do the right thing, but it's obviously a very loaded topic. Here's Mina Kvayo from Cell, also talking about the appeal process. Yes, we have an appeal process, definitely. Authors either if a paper has uh, reject, rejected without review or if it has been rejected after receiving the comments, can and do appeal to us. Do I have a recommendation? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be. It can be. It can be uh, useful. I mean, definitely, it is. It is a process that is there in place to help the authors and to help us understand whether there are, you know, something that we misjudged or may have understood better about a, a paper. So I think an appeal process can be helpful. It can be helpful in the sense that it, this is the opportunity for the authors to maybe clarify some aspects of the paper that maybe didn't come across to us very clearly. This is also a chance for us to talk with the author and to maybe ask some questions you know, about the paper. So for instance, relatively often in the appeal process, we will talk with the author over the phone and just discuss our concerns and what the author thought was maybe kind of lost during the evaluation process. So yeah, I think it can be beneficial. There may be cases when maybe we would not recommend authors to go ahead with the appeal in cases when, say, the paper is clearly based on either our recommendations or reviewers' recommendations really, really far away from uh, either technically or conceptually or both from, you know, being a strong candidate. Peter gave me some thoughts on how to handle the process of responding to reviews. Reviewer comments, especially bad ones, can feel personal at times, and the whole process can be a bit emotional. I would say that for trainees, think of the manuscript as a training exercise. I think a lot of trainings, they understand courses, coursework, experiments, doing the analysis as a training exercise. When it comes to writing the paper, they feel like, okay, I'm done. 
it should get finished and I should be famous now. But really approach it as, <laughs> as a training exercise. I, I'm still learning as I'm reading and, and reviewing and, and, and writing papers. And also don't think of negative reviews as a personal judgment of you and your science. It is only two or three scientists out there that are really most likely doing their best to evaluate this work. Do not take it personally as much. It's hard to say because we all do, but, but as much as possible, approach it with, with that attitude that this is just three other, two or three other scientists doing their best to evaluate your work. My advice will be that you really have to think hard that how your results are going to be interpreted and you have to really come up with different ways, different layers of how you're going to convince your results to the audience that you are showing rigorously with your data that you're arguing in, in the paper. I think that's really the critical part of writing a manuscript. And I also want to sort of advise graduate students to like stay resilient, even though this whole process can be really uh, challenging and tough, especially during the review process. It can be lots of going back and forth. So like stay resilient and stay positive and figure out where to fight against the reviews and where to sort of move on. And I think it's important learning process. Like I hope your uh, mentors, just as Bida did for me, be a good advice for you to like take you through this whole process. Well, that's great advice. Now I just have to learn to follow it. We've covered the whole process from starting a paper right through to responding to reviews. Join me next time for the last episode of this series. We'll talk about what happens when you are published and how to deal with your great fame if you experience it. As a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or find full episodes and sign up for weekly emails at Neuronline. Visit neuronline.sfn.org forward slash podcast. I've been Paula Croxton, and this was the SFN podcast, The Perils of Publishing.